Hello and welcome to Willosophy. My name is Will Anderson. I am the host of the podcast, the irregular podcast that, to be honest, I keep trying to quit. I keep trying to stop doing this show. I've paused for a drink. I probably should have had that drink before I started talking. That was a very unprofessional of me and I realized my mouth was a bit dry, but here's the thing. I have this podcast. It's called Willosophy. I talk to people that I know about what their like philosophy to something is basically. And I keep uh, trying to stop doing it because it's hard to do and it's hard to schedule because the only scheduling process I have is when I run into someone, I ask them if they would like to do it. And then it takes me months uh, to, to have that thing happen. I think this one, probably more than any one that I've done, we've been working on this for a very long time. Uh, it started with me reaching out to the person we have today uh, and asking if he would like to do it and sort of explaining what it was. Uh, and then I, I then there was kind of a courtship process. I feel like initially, I'll get him to speak to this in a moment, but I feel like initially uh, there was some reticence, some not understanding of what it might be, what he might bring to the table. And then there was a kind of a courtship process where we got to know each other. And I feel like he went, oh, yeah, no, okay, this is cool. I can probably do this. And then we tried to do it. And then it was my fault that it didn't happen that day. I just ended up having a massive, massive work day. And then it took us months again, but it's finally happening. I'm glad it's happened. So, uh, guest, who are you? Uh, they call me the kid solo, uh, AKA Oscar Mike, AKA smooth Nicholas, AKA, uh, Nick Bryant Smith. I'm a, an MC, a rapper in a group called horror show. And, um, yeah, that's about the size of it. I mean, to be honest, and I'm not going to say this is the only reason I got you on, but I've always wanted to have someone on who had an AKA. And you've just, you've belted out four AKAs. It's the best, man. The rap alias game. Now, okay. So let's just start with that before we get to the philosophy thing. Because uh, when you choose your name, and is there an expectation, firstly? I mean, I guess you grow up listening to like hip hop music and you see that like MCs have like, you know, these rap names. And I imagine, because I imagine it as I listen to rap music, that you'd be like, well, this would be my name and this is what I would be like and this would be my attitude. Totally. Is that is that your experience? I mean, yeah. I, mean, I often like, you know, a lot of my friends find the rap alias game really funny, you know, and a lot of my friends like think it's really hilarious when you go and refer to yourself as something like Smooth Nicholas. You right. Know? <laughs> um, but actually, I forgot the best one, the one I've, the most recent one I've come up with, and I haven't worked it into the whole list yet. The Caramello Fellow. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's so that's, nice. a, that's a world premiere for you All right, on nice. the podcast. An exclusive. Yeah, but I mean, like there's something empowering about choosing a name for yourself. Um, and, you know, some people choose their name. Some people's names happen quite organically. Um, you know, I know you had Briggs on the podcast recently, and obviously his MC names derive from his surname. It's probably what people call, have called him his whole life, you know. Um, for me, there was definitely a process of choosing my, my MC name, Solo. Um, and, you know, like most things that I do, I definitely overthought it. Um, and, you know, it was around the time because me and Adam made our first album when we were still in high school. Uh -huh. And I was really keeping my music and everything that I was doing very um, personal. I wasn't even showing it to people or even really telling people that I rapped or that I was writing songs. 
So t- tell me, and I don't want to interrupt the story, but so, uh, but I might have questions along the way. Yeah, for sure. So if you're not showing it to anybody, tell me why you're making it. Um, I think originally you're making it, or I was making it anyway, like as a form of therapy, to be honest. Um, you know, when you're a teenager, like things can seem very dramatic and you're going through a lot of changes and trying to find yourself uh, trying to work out a little bit who am I I'm not like a little kid that you know gets their lunch pack for them anymore who do I want to be or whatever so you know it's quite a turbulent time um, even though in reality what you're going through probably isn't all that earth shattering um, and so I just you know discovered hip-hop and you know I'm trying to give you a short answer to this question you don't need to this thing goes forever so it's okay. fine <laughs> Okay, good, because I'm not actually great at short answers. So, um, yeah, so you're, you, you, you know, it was a time in my life when I was trying to, you know, your first big breakup, your first time that you start to think about what, what do I want to do with my life, what do I want to be or whatever. And I fell in love with hip-hop. You know, my older brother showed me um, some, you know, show, originally showed me things like Common and stuff, but originally what made me really connect with it was he showed me the Hilltop Hoods. You know, and that was obviously a big moment. And I found I found this music. I found this whole world of rappers to listen to. Um, and originally, I think that was my sense of therapy was like listening to them tell their stories, and me relating to that was my original therapy. I think. And then eventually, you know, raps are very like participatory things. So eventually, you start to think, well, maybe I could have a go at this. You know, people always like you always see rap fans just freestyling in the corner of a party, you know, drunkenly making an ass of themselves. But that's, that's part of it is also, you know, it's a, it's a like music tradition that encourages you to have a go as well. Um, and you know, my friends like various one day as, you know, people that I grew up with who I'm sure we'll get to talking about, but they were all rapping. Um, and I was always the kid kicking the beatbox for them to rap. Um, but eventually in private, I guess I built up the confidence to start trying to write songs myself. And originally you start out like, you know, taking a song you like and maybe changing some of the words or whatever. But that stuff I did mucking around with the boys, I guess. And then, you know, I got to a point where I thought, well, maybe I'm going to have a go at writing a song. Um, I, to be honest, I didn't, never think you've been stronger than uh, your original work straight at Van Andale. But... <laughs> Really, really spoke to me. I got to be honest with you. I always like the old stuff. But, um, so I, I, there's already so many things I'd love to talk to you about, about yeah, what yeah. you've said, but um, a couple that I want to get to, and then we can kind of get to your philosophy and get to the other stuff. But um, so the first name you chose as, yeah. as like an MC name, what was the first one that you chose? Solo. And so why oh, Solo? Oh, no, that's not true. I'd even, I'd forgotten about this. The original idea that I had, another world premiere, um, <laughs> Like, my original MC name I wanted to call myself was Notion, uh-huh. you know, which is, like, such a classic hip-hop name of that era, you know? Like, a, a rapper I really like is called Idea. Rest, uh-huh. He rests in peace. Actually, he passed away a few years ago. But Notion was, you know, I wanted to call myself Notion. And, I mean, um, good for raps, too. I mean, Ocean, Motion. There's a <laughs> lot of, like, you know, really good for your palate, I would have thought. Yeah, probably much easier than Solo, to be honest. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Only so many polo rhymes that you can yeah, bust yeah, out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're, you're expecting to hear that, you know. Um, but, yeah, so I think I sort of toyed with that name for a while. 
and then it just didn't feel like it kind of said the whole thing or encompassed enough, I guess. And then I was just thinking about, I was trying to find a name. Um, also, I was trying to find the name of our band, Horror Show. Oh. You know, we made most of our first album without knowing what's our band called or, you know, what's my MC name or what does Adit want to refer to himself as. In the end, he went with his real name, you know. But um, so we're like trying to find names. And I was thinking about like, I guess at the time I was feeling like quite, you know, angsty and sort of solitary as a teenager, uh-huh. you know. Um, and I was also, I guess I, I played in bands at school. I played the drums and I used to sing in jazz bands and things like that. And I liked jazz. I was, and uh, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, in jazz, there's a whole tradition of taking a solo on an instrument and you're, you're speaking through that, that instrument to make your statement. And I was thinking about how really every time a rapper, you know, gets to the mic and, and spits a verse, they're doing the same thing. Right. You know, they're, they're taking a solo over this framework of the beat that they've chosen to rap on or whatever. So there was those kind of reasons that I was thinking about. And then um, two other things happened. Um, a kid that I went to primary school with who um, I didn't know well or anything, but he ended up going to um, another high school, um, just not, you know, not far from where I was. And uh, Jimmy Nice, also one of the one day guys, went to the same high school as him. Lots of, I've got lots of mutual friends that went to this kid's high school. And um, he was involved in a, a tragic incident where he died. He was... He was um, dragged in a in a taxi a bunch of his mates tried to do a runner on a taxi and he was injured and he passed away and um his name was solomon and everybody used to call him solo and even though i hadn't seen this kid for years i was quite you know upset by the fact that this has happened obviously and um that felt like another reason to choose the name like as a almost as a tribute for him you know and then on top of that I was at a party um, and my friend Talia was really, you know, it was late in the night and she was paying me out, like teasing me, you know, going, what are you going to call yourself? What are you going to call the band? Like, you know, she calls me like Smitty, which is a nickname that I hate, but she loves to call (laughs) me that. Um, So, yeah, so she's there going, what are you going to call it, Smitty? And, you know. She's like, maybe, you know, you're like, what could you call it? Like, you're not like the boys. You're not with Spit Syndicate. You're, you're like by yourself. So, you're kind of like solo. Maybe you should call yourself solo. And she didn't know anything about what I was uh-huh. thinking or whatever. So, when she said that, it just felt like it all kind of aligned. And, you know, that felt like the name that I had to pick. It's really interesting, isn't it? Like I, one of the things that I like about hip hop, I'm, I'm no expert by any means, like, but I really love like hip hop music and I love great like rap albums. Like I was just sitting by the pool the other night and I put on the Omatic, which I haven't listened to in years. And it was just one of those things where I'm like, this is just such a great album. I like, I love, I love the music, but I also love, one thing is, I just wanted to say, I want to add one thing that you didn't know about our courtship process, uh-huh. um, which is that I think the first time I ever saw you, <laughs> this is so romantic, just, <laughs> just after Valentine's Day, but I think the first time I ever saw you in person was at a Wu-Tang show at the Enmore. Oh yeah, sounds right. And me and my friends were there and spotted you up the back of the room like, oh shit, Will Anderson's here at Wu-Tang. Like, <laughs> 
you know, and here we are all these later, <laughs> all these years later. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting to find out that you're a big hip hop fan because I feel like more and more in pop culture and the media and stuff, you know, you're having a whole generation of actors, celebrities, cops, politicians who grew up on rap music. Well, and all I'm, of a sudden you're having like figures come out and say, oh yeah, I'm a huge, I listen to Illmatic. I grew up on this and that, you know. I mean, I, to the extent, you know, that if anyone comes and sees my shows, they will know this, that I only play old school, sort of 90s mostly hip hop yeah. before my shows. Right. And part of that is that, I, that is just music that makes me feel good. So mm. if I'm backstage and I'm wandering through the corridors and I can hear the music, I'm like, oh God, I love this track. Yeah, you know, yeah. Stuff that I can hear over and over every night and it puts me in the mood. But secondly, I think there is a real connection between comedy and like hip hop. I mean, so I think some of the funniest people in the world and some of the cleverest lines that have ever been written that could be stand-up comedy lines or, you know, writer's lines that are quoted forever are lines that I've heard in hip hop music. Mm. I mean, like... You know, Eminem, regardless of whatever you think about his, you know, politics or views on life or debates that I have no interest in getting into, like, there are songs of his where I go, that's like a, a show's worth of punchlines. Oh, absolutely. And layered punchlines that it took me three or four or five listens to get to the joke that you were obviously <laughs> making from the start. I mean, yeah, it's you know. Like his stuff is some of the most intricate wordplay that's ever been written in the English language, for sure. You know, the level of skill that some rappers have. Yeah, it's astounding. Well, if you if you compare it to poetry in that sense, like, I mean, the way that he uses languages and layers language and, you know, you know, kind of flips meanings and, you know, does all these sort of things. Like, you know, you people will study in the future and okay. go, well, this is someone who clearly was using language and intellect and all these sort of things that are capacity in a time that was... For sure. ...saying something. Okay, so firstly that, but one of the things I love about hip-hop is that it feels like it has a real connection with its past and like often a very active connection with its past. When you mentioned that, that the boy that you were paying tribute to, at least in part, I think there's something really great about that connecting with history. Uh, I go on stage every night to back in black by ACDC. And the reason I do that is because of a comedian called Dave Grant, who was an influential comedian to very much anyone who started around my era. He was the great kind of road comedian. You know, the guy that everyone in the comedy community will tell you how great he was and perhaps people in the broader community never got to know. And he died before anyone could find out. And he used to go walk on stage to Back in Black. And he was the ultimate, like, comics comic. And so I started walking on stage to it just really partly as a tribute, but just partly as a reminder of, like, why it is that I'm doing this and what it is that I'm meant to be doing. And, you know, that I should be going out there and honouring Mm-hmm. you know, this sort of thing from my past and it gives it strength. And I see that a lot in hip hop. And so to the point of solo, because it always interested me, i got to be honest with you, because you strike me as someone who is extremely collaborative. So I wanted to hear what your answer was on that because, I mean, one of the real examples of where I think hip hop has come in Australia is when the Hilltop Hoods played headline the Triple J 40th anniversary, mm-hmm. right? They did a big live concert, you know, on 40 years of Triple J, and the headlining band that day wasn't Powderfinger. Mm. The headlining band that day were the Hilltop Hoods, mm. you know, like a you know a hip-hop crew from Adelaide. And I just went, look at where Australian music is now, that they are, you know, deservedly and unquestionably the people to be putting on in this moment. Yeah. But what also happened, because you were involved in that night, mm. was they also showcased within their set 
a whole bunch of other great people who are doing great things in Australian hip hop. And to me, it always feels like it is, well, at its best, it can be extremely collaborative. Definitely. It's a, it's a collaborative music, you know, as much as I'm talking about rappers taking a solo, like it, it's, um, you know, you've always got the DJ and the producer um, and, and you've also always got the, the crowd as well. You know, like hip hop's one of the only musics, uh, genres of music when you go to see it live, the show is often really decided by the crowd and the energy of the crowd because there's all this, when I say this, you say this, say ho, put your hands up, you know, like that that energy is, you know, goes to that collaborative thing of what you're talking about. It's not a music that's just about like whoever's rapping right at that moment. It's it's a it's a community like focused energy. And I suppose that goes to collaboration. Um and yeah, you're right. I've always had other people around me I was making music with and stuff. Um I guess it's just how I viewed myself at the time. And I guess maybe that's connected to the fact I was doing it in private, you know, not really showing it to anyone. But yeah, uh, these days I'm not so lonely and I'm, I'm collaborating with all sorts of awesome people. So we'll, we'll get to the philosophy in a minute, but there's one more thing I want to tick off just from what we've talked about, which is the Hilltop Puts. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is a, a misinterpretation. But I think to an Australian public that doesn't, isn't interested in or doesn't understand the Hilltop Hoods, you know, they now, because of their success, have become that... In the same way as Cold Chisel... Uh, if you grew up in my era, you, you hated Cold Chisel not because of Cold Chisel. You hated Cold Chisel because of the sort of people who like Cold Chisel or something like that. I don't know what. There was a connotation with what sort of music it was. Whereas if you revisit it, it was like popular pop music with like a real depth and interest to it. Mm. And I feel like the Hilltop Hoods perhaps don't get the rec- the broader recognition of what it is that they have done am i do you had well i mean i feel like they do in the community or it feels like they're doing the hip-hop community but can you talk to me about like what where the hilltop hoods are in and what you know yeah yeah i mean i can hilltop hoods one of my favorite bands i could talk about them all day um i don't know if 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 that's true i guess from where i sit it's hard for me to say what you know somebody who might not have a really direct awareness of the hoods what they mean because well, ta- well, ta- that's I guess that's more what I'm asking is what do they mean oh, I don't yeah I'd yeah. prefer you to tell me what they mean rather than me speculate on what other people think well, yeah, yeah yeah I mean yeah neither of us are in the speculation game yeah. um I can I can definitely say what the hoods mean to me and and to a whole generation I feel like of, of people who've grown up on their music um you know the hoods are the godfathers of of this whole thing you know there's been a lot of people to do it and there was people doing it before the hoods but they're the ones that were able to um connect you know the growing um buzz and and energy of people who love hip-hop in australia and a more mainstream um australian audience you know and it and they just did it in such an authentic cool way um, you know, where they rapped about themselves and about being from Adelaide and they didn't try to be anything that they weren't, but they just, they just showed people at large in Australia that you could use, um, hip hop in your own way to tell your own story, tell Australian stories and be authentic about it. And, and it be cool, you know, because 
I've seen the hoods live more times than I can remember, you know, even before I started touring with them and stuff. Um, if, if you see the Hilltop Hoods live, I challenge you to walk away like not a fan. Right. You know, and that's partly to do with them as performers, but it's also just partly to do with the quality of their music and especially the, the stuff they were making a few albums ago that was around this time when they blew up The Calling, you know, as a record. Like, I can remember listening to The Calling the day that it came out, going to Next Level R.I.P., you know, you're very right. We're always talking about the past in hip hop. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went to Next Level, bought a copy of the CD, put in my Discman, went to Broadway, and I can remember standing outside the cinema listening to it, you know. Um, and it was such a such a moment for me and my friends and anybody in this country who was listening to Australian-made hip hop at that time because it's such a good album. The sound of it is so warm and inviting that, you know, the drums are awesome. The production's like, you know, it makes you feel good. It's just, it's just such well-made music, you know, and that, and that applies to all their albums really. But that album, you know, just was the perfect album for that time to, to light that powder keg. Um, and I can remember listening to it and it being such a personal thing for me and my friends, you know, being like, feeling like at that time it was like, you felt like you were in on a secret or something, you know, because people at school would like laugh at me when I told them I listened to Australian hip hop, you know, like the perception of it back then. And even to this day, but the hoods have changed this along with some other people was, you know, barbecue rap. Right. Like anytime I would say, tell somebody about the music that I listened to, they'd, they'd pay me out. You know, they'd be like, man, what do you want to listen to that barbecue rap for? You know, just really essentialize it. And, um, I mean, I remember that because that was when I was at Triple J. So when the Hilltop Hoods like really, you know, the, well, the first time like an Australian hip hop act, but also just the first time they were in the Hottest 100, I was like in the top 10 of the Hottest 100. I was on air at that time. Yeah, and right. we had done a tour of Australia that year where we'd done like live breakfast shows in different capital cities. Mm -hmm. And the one that was completely full was the morning where the Hilltop Hoods were playing with us, you know, at Adelaide University on the grass. There was probably four or five thousand people there. Mm -hmm. There wasn't four or five thousand people at any other shows we did. Powderfinger played for us at, you know, under the Sydney Harbour Bridge outside the MCA, mm -hmm. and we didn't get that many people there. And you knew that something was happening, mm -hmm. but it was genuinely one of those things where you're like, yeah, I mean, obviously Australian hip hop had been around before and some good stuff as well, but this was something different. Mm. This was like, I mean, and now when you look at it from when that was to now, we're like, the Hilltop Hoods are almost the band and this is literally meant with no disrespect. I only say this to make my point, which is they're the one band that no matter what they release next year, you'd be like, I'm going to back that to be in the top 10 of the hottest 100 because they're so ensconced with, with such a following and such a love of what they have done for now, however many years that is. Mm. I mean, it's it's kind of incredible. It is incredible. It's amazing. It's one of the, you know, most amazing stories in Australian music, I think. You know, and it and that's the thing. Like, it just, that story and what they did, it means so much to, to a lot of people. It means a lot to me because I was there at that point, you know, to, to where they are now and we ended up doing a tour um here in australia with the hoods we've we've toured overseas in europe twice with the hoods they've got me on a song on their album which was a huge honor you know i went down to adelaide and recorded on a track the underground that's on their record you know so i've been on a whole journey with the hoods but you know there's a lot of 
Australians, you know, from below my age to, to around your age, you know, um, who I actually have no idea how old you are, but I'm just having a stab in the dark. Um, what would be your guess? Just, I, there is nothing that you can say that would offend me. I'm just interested in the answer. This is not a good I mean, the, se- no, the, the, se- the sound or... that you're making like right now would flatter me. Sorry. For, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'm going to go with that then. Like, I was going to shoot for like a, somewhere between like, you know, I don't know, 35 to 37. Thank you, something. sir. Good, good on you. 43. <sighs> Been around forever, mate. Well, there you go. So, you know, I'm 29 now. So anywhere between younger than us to to around your age, I reckon it's a journey that they kind of went on um, with the hoods, you know, because they were on the big day out every year. Right. You know, that's another real pivotal moment. Actually, the first time I ever went to the big day out, I was in, I went to the, the one in Sydney with all my friends, you know, and Atmosphere who are my other favorite band really and and have had a huge influence on what I do. They were on the bill and the and the hoods were on directly after them. And I saw atmosphere and it was like, you know, you're you're eight you're eighteen seeing your favorite band for the first time in your life who you never thought you'd probably see out here. Like it was a life changing experience for right. me. And then immediately after and I'm in the we're in the front row, mind you. Um Immediately after the hoods came out and I got up on the barrier and I turned around, I've got a photo that I took from the crash barrier looking out over the crowd and the entire place, like this big massive tent was wall to wall, full, like rammed in packed. Like you couldn't have fit another human being in this, in this room and the hoods played and they smashed it. And I remember seeing atmosphere and all their band come back out and be standing on the side of the stage watching the hoods like what the fuck is going on here you know and i remember that moment so clearly because it was a real indicator of the fact that 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 fire had been lit and the hoods had blown up you know and since then they've they've gone on to become a household name and you know they're at the point where that legacy propels them further like you're talking about you know um it's an amazing story an amazing moment in australian music and you know definitely really inspirational for anyone in in the hip-hop scene in australia you know Um, awesome that was awesome good thank you that was that was that was very nice I, i i liked hearing that a lot um all right so philosophy do you have one and i know that's a big question by the way and all i really want is like to to understand if you can have heaps. You can have none. There is no right answer to this, but I just, I just yeah, like yeah. to ask. Well, I, I mean, um, I've like I've been thinking about this because, like, I'm a fan of the podcast and I listen to it, you know. And I want to go back to another point you made in your uh, your uh, description of our courtship process, which was that um, there was reticence about me doing the podcast. You know that I wasn't sure what it was. You know, and I'd like to defend myself against okay, this, good. this no accusation. i'd like to i mean this is all in my head possibly yeah because <laughs> if there was any hesitation about doing the podcast it's it's only because it's a great podcast and you get really amazing interesting people on here you know like some of the sharpest minds in australia some of the funniest people in australia so you know that's my only hesitation it's like you're getting little old smooth nicholas to come and stand shoulder to shoulder with jane carroll and you know, 
I mean, come on, it's the Caramello, Caramello fella. <laughs> well, that's right. After, <laughs> after this podcast, you know, they're going to know. Yeah, the, exactly. The name. No, well, here's the thing. I'll, well, I'll tell you a little bit about how I discovered your music. I um, was reading, must have been the monthly, I would say. Here's a person I'm a huge fan of, um, Dave, Dave Faulkner. Faulkner. And both as a musician. Like I thought the Hoodoo Gurus remain. I, in fact, I was doing some press this morning for my show and a Hoodoo Gurus track was on the radio before my interview and I was like, fuck, they were a good band, the Hoodoo Gurus. Um, but as a music writer, um, I loved his music writing. He would always, he would just be one of those classic people that if he told me that I should check something out, I would be like, I am definitely going to go and check that out. But he would also then write in a way or describe in a way why it was that, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds exactly like the sort of thing I was into. And seeing you said his name, I assume you know perhaps about the piece I'm talking about. But he wrote yeah. a particular piece where he uh, wrote about your album in a way that I was like, well, I was kind of familiar with you guys, like from listening to hip hop. and But I wasn't, I didn't know enough. Was this, was this a horror show album or, was or like, the One Day mm. album? I think I, I think, feel like it was the horror show album. Was it the One Day album? Well, my, he might have. Yeah, yeah, I bet he's gone back to the. He, no, it was the horror show album. He might have like reviewed us or something. Yeah. but he he wrote that big feature you're talking about. I think about One Day, but he he talked about us all. Yeah, well, he, I, he came and like embedded himself with us for a good day, and you know really got stuck into the so story. So he's, he obviously wrote something previous to that. No. Right. Okay. So it, it was definitely about uh, King Amongst Many. Oh, cool. I, um, didn't, I didn't know that. And that's, it was about how cool. the voice of Australian political commentary was now in the hip hop community. He talked about your yeah, album wow. and another album. Oh, that's dope. I and it's a brilliant up. piece. Like yeah, it really, okay. well, I mean, it was, it was that sort of thing where I was like, well, I need to go and listen to this. And having then, when shouts, I was like, shouts to Dave Faulkner. Right. <laughs> And after this, he'd be good on the podcast, actually. I should get Dave Faulkner on. That's a good suggestion. Bam. But um, so he, uh, so I, I, I went and I listened and what I tend to do, because I'm a bit of a completist when I, like if I start watching a TV series, regardless of whether it's shit or not, mm-hmm. I will probably keep watching that TV series until I, I stop you. making that TV series, I right? And you. I'm the same with music. Like you know, I, so if I'm I'm going if I've decided I'm going to listen to one of your albums, I'm also going to download however many of the albums there are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Sometimes that pays off very well with you guys. Uh, when I found out about Run About uh, Run the Jewels on their second album, that was an unexpected bonus to be able to go. Oh, hang on, there's two really great albums here. Totally. Uh, and the new one is awesome as well. It is. Um, but uh, so then I was I was overseas and often as I am overseas, you find something that feels like it connects you with home mm-hmm. and it becomes a bit part of your schedule and stuff. So I would be walking around all these foreign places, but that album became, and you know, it, it, the Spit Syndicate album as well was like, uh, you know, sort of similar time for me getting mm-hmm. into both. So, and then I was kind of like, well, these guys all know each other and work together. Yeah. And so I was, it as was a like, completist, you've stumbled on a real gold mine. Right. Yeah. And that's what it was like. And yeah. and that's my perfect thing because then I can be like, oh, so hang on, who's Kai and how does that work? And, uh-huh. you know, and kind of Jackie do, Onassis. do a bit of investigation and then find all this other great music. Joyride. That, Have you listened to Joyride? Yeah, of course. So, yeah, so, so you've got the well, whole this set. Is, well, it's like discovering one character from Game of Thrones in another <laughs> show and then going, hang on, all this has been here all this time? Yeah, how yeah, do they yeah. connect? Totally. So it That's was, cool, it was That's like cool. a real kind of, and so it kind of connected me to a part of my life. So I knew 
that I mean, I knew that you would be somebody that I would like from listening to your music. I mm -hmm. was like, well, here's a dude I would love to hear about what he thinks about the world. So that 30 minutes in gets That's us cool. to the question, <laughs> what is your philosophy? Yeah, well, um, I was thinking about it in preparation for the podcast and I realized that I used to have one, which I don't want to spend too much time talking about because it's my old one and uh -huh. I've gotten rid of it. Um, which is that I, I think I used to really believe that like there was a way that things were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, whether that was like you personally or what's going on in the world or whatever. I think I, I definitely personally, I used to feel like, you know, there was a way that I, like a thing that I should aspire to be, you know, um, and that I wouldn't necessarily um, like... Well, I get, yeah, there was a, there was a, a way that I should be and a way that I should behave and, and a, a person that I should try and be. Um, and then, you know, that the world should be a certain kind of a way and people shouldn't get fucked over and people shouldn't be racist and, you know, and these, and I guess it's, it's almost like in retrospect, it's like being a perfectionist, um, and always being disappointed that things weren't that way or that you didn't live up to that idea of your, the way you should be or whatever. And I think that philosophy drove me for a few years. And then I realized that it was just too fucking depressing. Right. Because I, 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 yeah, as you said, because it's your old philosophy, you know, let's leave it behind. Yeah. But I'm more interested in that moment where, or that thing where you go, well, this is not my philosophy anymore. Because mm. I think that's really interesting. Because I think what you're talking about is a thing that we all suffer from in some ways. Is that we measure our lives by arbitrary other people's versions of what our lives should look like mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Oh, I'm not married or I don't have kids now or like I should send my kids to this school or whatever this thing is that you've built up in your mind is what people or, do. Or at the time, like it's like <laughs> I should get good grades or I should get drunk with my friends on the weekend or, you know, like, yeah, wh whatever age it is, there's always a new right expectation. And often that I think leads to the ruin of people because often if you don't fit into one of those normative, you know, like set things, which most of us don't in at least one way, often we don't in heaps of different ways, mm. then you feel like you don't kind of work at all. Mm. Like, you know, I mean, and often, I, so relationships is just an easy way to describe this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think often people are like, my relationship isn't like their relationship, therefore my relationship is bad. As opposed to going, well, what do I want from my relationship and what does the other person want? And are those two people getting kind of what they want? Mm. Then it doesn't really matter if it looks like the people who live next door. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just think the way that I was looking that, at the world at that time was just, it just meant you're always like disappointed with always. stuff, you know? Well, because if you're a perfectionist, again, like, because I used to say I was one of those people, a bit of a perfectionist. Yeah, totally. So, ar most arrogant thing of all time because it implies that you can indeed be perfect. <laughs> and the minute you resign yourself for the fact that you, guess what? Oh, guess what? I'm probably never going to be the best comedian in the world and I'm never going to do my show fucking perfectly and all those mm. things. And for me to even believe that's possible is the most arrogant fucking thing of all time. Yeah. Once you kind of resign yourself to that fact, then you can kind of get over the fact that, oh, it wasn't perfect. Oh, I guess I'm not perfect. I guess I'm not perfect. Yeah. Turns out the thing that I knew before I did this show, which was that I was not perfect, has been proved by this show. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it is exhausting wanting things to be perfect all the time. Right. It's exhausting for you and everyone around you who has to deal with the fact that you're disappointed that things didn't go perfectly, you know? Because they can't. They can't. They never do. No. Um, 
And it's an unrealistic expectation. Absolutely. And it's it's just a pointless waste of energy to put that expectation. Well, how on did you work that out though? Either. How did that come about? Well, um I th- I don't know, like it's probably it's probably still coming about, you know, like right. you, you still find yourself you know, getting disappointed about something or especially when you do something creative, you know, you can still fall into this trap like you can make a song and and you know, love the vibe and whatever, but there can be one line where you, you know, didn't like the way you recorded it or whatever. And when you listen back to it, you know, that just bugs you, you know? And those are things that you still, I still struggle with. But I guess what I'm saying with my old philosophy is like, I don't like to um, give that like tendency such uh, for like a place at the front of my mind anymore. You know, like it's going to be what it's going to be. You know, you're going to, you're going to make the song and, you know, there will be little things about it that don't go perfectly or, you know, things you wish you'd turned up and down in the mix or things like that or you know we just got our 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 album artwork back you know and there's you know certain like i love the package it's dope but the stock that it's on the paper is a little bit thinner than i would have liked and you know when you really care about stuff it is easy to to fall into that perfectionist trap i gotta be honest with you though what i mostly remember about iconic hip-hop albums was how thick the packaging was so i mean it really is all the, pretty much real fans isn't talk that about. a category at the grammys yeah best the packaging best gsm of, yeah it was of a little, paper. i love that wu-tang album but it was the packaging was a little thin you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's ridiculous right it's ridiculous right. to think like this and i know that but i still in my in some moments you find yourself having those thoughts but i guess what i'm saying is i when i was a a teenager or in my early 20s I had this idea in my mind of like how I wanted everything to be and how I wanted to be and I would be disappointed that I wasn't living up to it and so I learned to stop thinking about um my life in general as like that idea that there was a way shit was supposed to be if I could just get things right you know and I learned to realize that you're not going to get things right and you are going to mess things up and you know, some things will be rushed or, you know, like, and that it's, um, it just is what it is. And you, you just do, you know, you just try and be the best you or do the best job, like in, in that moment or whatever, and then move on kind of thing. So when, when you change your perspective as a hip hop artist, so for example, as a stand up comedian, often there are routines that I could still do that are still funny, but I'm not really the same person I was when I wrote that thing. So mm. they won't quite work, even though the words could be even better and I could perform it better. It won't quite work in the same way as it did because I was connecting with a time or a place or mm-hmm. whatever it was. But I imagine often with like rap, like often, yeah, and I've listened to your new album and there are moments where you like, you know, reflect or state where you believe you are or what your opinion is about the industry and where you want to be within the industry and where you are in your life. And I think I want to talk about that a bit later as well. But Mm -hmm. the, the question I really want to ask now is if you then have to go back to a time, like, you know, a song that was written at a time where you did have a different perspective on life. Mm hmm. Are you able to easily go back there and be in that moment and be that person who looked at the world that way again, or is what what's that like? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, man. It is an interesting thing and and something that's kind of unique to music. You know, when you make a record, that's literally what it is. It's a record, a snapshot of that that moment or whatever, and often it's like charged with emotion. So 
your emotions change and where you're at change where you, where you're at changes. Um, there are certain songs that for me I can't really go back to. Um, and it is interesting how I have that relationship with them, but the listener doesn't necessarily. So we got a song on our first record um, called Celepram, which is um, the name of an antidepressant. And it's a really dark song about a dark place that I was in at that particular moment, you know. And we've only ever played it live once or twice. Um, and each time we did, it was... It was weird for me, you know, but then I, but then I've had fans say to me like, dude, I fucking love Celepran. Like I just, I'd love to see that live one time and, you know, so people have a different perspective on it, but for you, yeah, sometimes if you put enough like raw emotion into a song or a song is a reflective of a moment, um, you know, to that extent, it can be really weird to, to go back to, to old stuff. And I never listened to our old records, you know? Like, and I reckon a lot of artists would say this is like, you barely even listen to it too far um, past making it, you know, because by the time the public hears one of our records, like I've listened to it hundreds and hundreds of times, maybe even over a thousand, you know, um, that's how much time you spend with the music and how, and how close you get to it. So, you know, some songs like that one would be kind of out of the question for me to go back to, but then there are other songs that live on and you know we got this song that we play in our set which is from the same album called all summer long and it's about the one that got away you know what a what a like late teens thing to write a song about you know um and it's really chill it's like my friend played the guitar it's really like surfy kind of chill the drums are live they're really light and it's also it's also great to know when you're a teenager that there was the one who got away like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's well, like, well, she was the one. But everyone gets that. It's actually, it's a nice emotion, really, yeah, to connect yeah. with. It's a, it was a cool topic to write a right. song about, you know. And, you know, I rapped on it. We did a remix with the Spit Syndicate guys. Um, it's actually, it was actually a very formative moment. It's the first time we all recorded with our engineer, who we all record with now. Um, it, was a, it was a formative moment. But the song is very chill. And I would never even have thought that it worked to play it live let alone still be playing it live in the set nearly 10 years later, you know? But people just love that song. It's just they connect with it and they sing along to it. They sing their hearts out to it. So we see that response and, and we keep it keeps feeling good and we keep playing it. So, you know, I, there are certain songs that, that do live on and you revisit them every time you play them live. And I guess, in, if anything, you're adding more energy and experience into them because they start to pick up their own baggage and and weight you know like right we got a song called walk you home um which is an another like kind of love breakup song ballad thing sufjan stevens sample like and it's really chill we people love it we did we had three proposals on stage during the last tour alone to this song like people love this song they get it tattooed on themselves you know and so, so, so we keep playing but, it and i keep yeah. revisiting it well know? and like as you said it has its own story now mm. like i mean those people who you know proposed to it that's now part of the story of that song 100 and they're, amazing. they're going to be telling their kids and right it's it's crazy how how that happens um and that and that actually um brings me to to my new 
philosophy All maybe right. if so, you're happy to no, move on. Well, here's what we're going to do. It, it is uh, 43 minutes in and that's traditionally where we take about a halftime break where I can just go to the bathroom and uh, get us another beer. <laughs> beer keep them in a bit of suspense. So this I is, like it. But this is good. Like, I mean, it's a neat place. Mm, just as we're about to get there. We thought we were going to get there before where it wasn't time for a break, <laughs> but you've really teased that out well. So thank you. So we'll pause this and we'll be back. Soundtrack to our forgotten story. Reminisce sometimes, seeing the world through love's eyes. Your friend was my sunshine until I realized you eclipsed her. Now I miss you. All right, we're back. We've had a halftime break and we're going to get to the new philosophy. We've heard about the old philosophy, we've talked about lots of things, but let's get to the new one. What is it? The new philosophy is that um, everyone has a story and all stories have value. You know, everyone's story is important. Okay, interesting. So, um, how did you come to that? Like, how did you start to like listen to other people's stories and kind of value them? Through, like, definitely through hip hop. Um, you know, through listening to, to rap. Like, rap's such a unique genre of music because the word count is so much higher than most music. You know, the number of words per minute or words per song is like you know, heaps more like hundreds versus dozens. And so that's what makes it such a great tool for telling stories. Um, so really, you know, I liked stories as a kid. Like I, you know, would, I was, I, I, one time I was a state finalist in Nestle right around Australia. Um, (laughs) you know, when I was really young, like I would, um, write like stories about pirates and stuff and make my dad like illustrate these books for me, you know, so I've always loved stories, but... Do Nestle make the Caramello, by the way, the Caramello Koala? <laughs> because that would be a great cross-promotion if Nestle totally. want to get back on board. Uh, one, of, one of their originals, one of the people that Nestle have, fo- have fostered. Let's look over dude, some of their... If whoever owns the Caramello, <laughs> if you want to holler at me, like we can talk because <laughs> I love Caramellos and um, my vocal tone has been described as caramel. So... Let's talk. It's Let's a perfect. Talk. It's a perfect mix. That's really what I came on for today to to reach out to. I mean, this is a massive opportunity for get people to get sponsorship deals. <laughs> it's fine. It gets listened to by a lot of people in the advertising industry. So, when you say that everybody has a story, we live in an era where, um, we've never had more opportunity to tell our stories. You know, there used to be gatekeepers in the way, but now anybody. Like you don't have to release an album like you guys do. You can literally just, you know, you can make a mixtape. You can, you know, get on YouTube and you can like, you know, you know, put a verse out or whatever it is that you want to do or mm-hmm. like make a play or do a comedy piece or whatever. Mm-hmm. How do you then differentiate, you know, what you do from the fact that everybody's telling their own story? Well, I think like rap and, and hip hop is just my preferred medium. I just think it's such a powerful medium. Um, you know, just, just, just going back to what I was saying, the fact that you are able to put hundreds of words in a, in a song and that it relies on rhyme so heavily because rhyme is like one of the most powerful tools, um, for 
you know, it just, it resonates with, with the human ear, you know, the human, I, I read this thing once um, at uni about how the human ear likes music and rhythm because it likes patterns in stuff, you know? Um, and that's why, that's why our body, and it comes from the earliest days of kind of, you know, listening out in the wild and not wanting to get eaten. So listening to like how nature should sound. And then when something changes, that stands out to your ear or whatever. And that's really what the art of rhyming is based on as well. Is like your ear hears the rhyming words and then expects to hear words that rhyme with that. And then also appreciates when it changes and you switch your flow up or whatever, you know? So I just think rhyme is such a powerful tool for telling stories. Um, and hip hop combines that with like the emotion and, and um, emotive quality of music, you know? When you're writing um, rhymes, and it, forgive me if I horribly, if there's any great hip-hop fans who have horribly used all the wrong terms, I, I don't... No, rhymes, rhymes works. Yeah. But um, is there certain rhyme structures that match certain sort of emotions or is it much more sort of, you know, uh, free form and you can adapt certain rhyme structures to any sort of emotion or any sort of like, you know, so if, you know, is there a certain rhyme structure that rewards, you know, a more upbeat sort of party jam versus like a rhyme structure that rewards something where you're trying to make a, you know, more downward statement or like create a different mood? That's a good question. I mean, in reality, there's, I guess there's some tools like that that work, like, Probably if you put more space in a in a verse, less words, um, you know, they'll have more impact, but they won't hit as hard or things like that. There are some tools there, but I think ultimately when you when people are writing a rap, like excuse me, working out how to flow on the beat, they're responding more to the music and the rhythm of the music, like the patterns of what's going on in the drums, how the how the sounds and the instruments are moving and stuff. And you find those little like pockets where little rhythms that feel good over that. And then really you can, most of the time you can apply any kind of rhyme scheme to that, you know, it's, I don't know, it's a difficult thing. Okay. Well, let's talk about it in a more practical sense then. We have an easy example so you can walk me through it. So you have a new album uh, that like when people hear this will probably be out. We were going to release it around the same time. So it's either out or going to be out within whatever promo time we've decided is acceptable. <laughs> so <laughs> might right. be out tomorrow, guys, whatever. But point it'll, is... It'll be out sometime around yeah. February 24. So when whenever you're drops. hearing this... I hope. Yeah. So uh, I was grateful that you sent me a link to the album and I've been listening to it a lot over the last sort of week or so. And talk me... Okay, I, I don't want to lead the witness here. So... Explain to people the title and explain to me why you decided on that title. Because I feel like there is something that is said in the album and, and what the album is compared to your other work that perhaps is reflected in the title, but maybe I'm projecting st- meaning onto that. Well, I mean, that's your job, right? As the, as the listener, like that's, you know, it's good that I'm glad that you did that, listen to it and, you know, added your own meaning or looked for your own meaning or whatever. Um I, I really want to answer this so the, I really want to answer this question um, but I also wondered if I should defer it because I also know you are sometimes you like to ask one more question on this on this podcast okay about death is yeah. this what we're talking about we yeah. can we can just talk about it now there is no yeah. particular order that we need to get to this yeah. so like I, well the question well, that I often ask is what do you think happens when we die yeah okay well um, 
you know, I guess the short answer to that question is I don't know, but... Well, the only actual answer that anyone could truthfully give is, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, I have not started this podcast in the hope that one day we'll stumble upon what the actual truth is. It's everybody's theory. Maybe you will, man, out here in, imagine. In, the, in the in the Bachelor will pad. You will just strike on it. Can maybe. you imagine? That'd be sad for the world if this is where it happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, you know, another, beyond that answer... Um, you know, another idea that I've come across recently, which I found really interesting and which ended up um, forming the title of the album, the new album that we've done, is um, this idea of the bardo. Um, and our new record's called Bardo State. And um, I came across this idea about halfway through making the record. Yeah, Because you love that 90s girl group, Bardo, right? <laughs> Man, I'm so... <laughs> I'm so sick of this joke oh, already. already. And already. the album's not even out. Yeah, already, man. So, yeah. No tea. No tea. No we tea. We need to point out. No, the tea's been dropped. Um, and funnily enough, one one little other tie-in, and this is some universe shit, as, as me and Adam like to call it, um, the Hilltop Hoods have a line in a song about Bardo, but they're talking about the, the girl band. Right. Um, that chick looks like Bardo. Why is that? Because she's poisoned. Um, it's like a really dated line, you know, <laughs> but it's just a funny little connection between everything we're talking about, I guess. But yes, I, I am sick of that joke already. Um, so if you're hearing it out there, please don't. That's make, it. That's the last make, time. We'll, we'll that is the, the last, last time. time it can be made. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the Bardo is this, um, this idea that comes from, so, so I went to a, an art exhibition, um, which was on at, um, the mortuary station in, uh. I'm not sure what suburb it is technically. Tell me, uh, while you have a drink, I'm going to fill in this little gap in between, uh, which is this. Uh, do you often consume other art? Like, are you a person that takes art, you know, in generally into your world, like other art forms than like music? Not, not really. Not, not enough to like, you know, I like art and I like, I like, you know, I guess the art I grew up with was graffiti. Um, yep. and if we started talking about that, we'd be here for, for days. Um, but I would like, I like art, but I wouldn't say I consume heaps of it. I really think I'm fairly obsessed with music and that's, that's the thing that I spend my time like consuming or whatever. But, um, I'd been, you know, you, we, we brought up death and I'd, I'd noticed that there's a few songs on the record that deal with death. Um, and you know, I guess like that's a fairly new thing for me to be talking about in that, that like talking about that in music. And it's not necessarily like, it's, it's interesting to think about. There's not actually, I reckon there's so so many more songs about love than there is about death, but death is actually, and everyone loves love songs because they're universal. Right. But actually the most universal topic right. that you could you write about. You may not about, fall in love, but you will die. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it should mostly be birth songs and death songs <laughs> the, totally. and breathing songs. Totally. That's why Sting was onto it, man. Every breath you take, he was like, you're speaking to a universal experience. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I breathe. Too. I get that. Mm. I like that song about I'm that thing. Right I do. Now. Yeah. yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so, so that's another little side note. Like maybe there should be more songs about, about death than, than there are. I kind of feel like this is a subject that even if maybe consciously you weren't ruminating on, because I think that a song like, yeah, well, again, I'm putting my interpretation on this, mm. 
But when I would like when I would hear a song like Dead Star Shine mm-hmm. from the previous album, mm-hmm. like that still felt to me like that's a rumination on the nature of what our existence is. Like where where we are in the universe. And to me, it's like that the idea that these, you know, stars that we're seeing putting on their show mm-hmm. uh have been dead for all this time. To me, that spoke to me in a way of going, Well, I will be dead, you know, for a very long time. But so the only kind of thing that we can know is just shine as much as you can mm. before you die and you never know how much you're going to keep shining afterwards. Like yeah. that's just, yeah. but maybe you will. Like, you know, so to me, the way I interpret a song like that, the way yeah, I yeah. listen to a song like that, I go, well, this is a guy who's clearly at least thinking about what the nature of life is. And I think yeah. those questions only come if you have an acknowledgement of that final question, which, because yeah. I think the idea of what you think happens when you die so much determines how you choose to live your life because it's the essential starting point about a whole bunch of different directions you could go in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a trip. Like, and I, you know, I wouldn't say this is like the first stage in my life where I've ever thought about death or whatever. You know, I can remember thinking about it as a kid or if a family friend passed away, like being kind of sad about that or whatever. It's always bothered me a bit, but I guess as I get that little bit older where I'm not in my twenties anymore and I'm, you know, I'm getting, well, actually, I am. Sorry, I jumped a gun. I'm, I'm still 29, but, you know, I feel like I'm there now, already. Now, now we can't put this out until your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people people are, are still, um, you know, people around me are like getting married and, and things, but also people around me are passing away or they're having, you know, their parent pass away or whatever. And, um, you know, one of the songs on the album is about kind of dealing with a situation like that, but. Yeah, so I I was at the point where I'd noticed that there were a few songs on the record about death or that hinted in, at death in some way. And um, I went to the mortuary station to see this exhibition. And uh, there was like an art installation there that had um, excerpts from um, this text called the Bardo Todol, which is a Tibetan Buddhist text. Basically... It's a it's a text from within a larger book that is supposed to prepare you for meditating on and and eventually for the process of your death, you know. So it's a text that you you know you, it's designed to like read and memorize while you're alive, um, and also for for somebody to read it to you while you're passing, you know, or read excerpts of it while you're passing. And it's all about um, preparing you for this idea of what's going to happen when you die when you die. So obviously. Buddhists believe in reincarnation, um, so they believe that after you die, you'll go through a period of like it's something like forty days or forty-nine days or something, where you're between two lives on Earth, and you um, have an opportunity to uh, attain nirvana and break out of the reincarnation cycle. Um, you know, which is that all of this is, these are concepts that I've learned about in the last few months, you know, like I'm not proclaiming to be an expert on them, but when I found out about this idea, like it fascinated, really resonated with me, you know, so I've, I've done my research and talked to people or whatever, but I'm not pretending to be like a Buddhist monk or anything. Um, but this idea that you can be, but that you are between two lives on earth. So you, you pass away and then the first thing that happens is you have like an intense moment of where you're more kind of alive than you ever were while you're on earth, like a kind of higher life. And then you are 
visited by um, these kind of demons that represent and also bring along with them like your attachments on earth, you know, the, the people that you love, um, the things that you want, your possessions, like the things that humans kind of get attached to um, that prevent them from from attaining nirvana, um, you know, nirvana being the idea of like being extinguished, ceasing to exist, you know, breaking the reincarnation cycle because Buddhists believe, you know, the first like kind of foundation of, of Buddhism is that, you know, life is suffering. Like all this stuff, you know, th- these are things that I was was um, learning about by going to this exhibition, you know, which I just had a feeling that I should go to. So I went there, um, encountered this these excerpts from the Bardo Toto, went home and read about it and stuff, and I discovered this idea of yeah being in in the Bardo, um, Bardo meaning like an intermediate state or in between state where you're you're between one you you know you're you're after one life on Earth, but you're in a situation where you have to navigate like those demons and those attachments, and you have to either beat them and break the reincarnation cycle or you have to find your next life on earth and you you know that's affected by your karma and you got to think about the kind of life you want to live and find like a good life on earth you know that's preferably like a human life as opposed to like a rat that lives in a cave or you know what i mean so it's this intense idea about being between lives on earth and considering your options and what kind of life you would like or could have had or you know what I mean? Um, so I've got a question. Um, how much of the album was done when you came up with the name of the album, when this happened? Probably about half. So it'd be interesting for me, and we couldn't go through track by track, but it'd be interesting to me because that is what I thought perhaps it meant. Like, But I would say something more than that is, like, it feels to me like this is an album that to me often speaks in the lyrics, but also in the music mm-hmm. of someone at a point of deciding what it is that they want to be. Do I want to be this person in this industry? Do I want to make this sort of music or do I want to kind mm-hmm. of transition? And I'm in a moment of deciding what it is that I'm about to do next, uh-huh. but it might be something, you know, that this is like a real step along the way to, or it might be something complete. You know, I mean, it feels like thematically, but also musically, mm-hmm. they are themes that are prevalent across the album. Like, I mean, to me, that was yeah, the yeah. immediate connection I made between those two. Yeah, I, I feel that, man. You're giving uh, Dave Faulkner a run for his money with your, <laughs> with your music journalism right now, man. You're really, uh, you're really picking up what I'm putting down, man. Like, that, that's cool. You've obviously listened to the record and and soaked it in. And, you know, I really appreciate that. That's dope. Um, yeah, you know, you, were, you you kind of brought up the point about our music and musically being in that in-between yeah. state, um, you know, deciding whether which direction to go in and stuff. Um, and I just think like, you know, I guess I just wanted to, to say that there's, you know, there's the in-between state feels to just apply so readily across lots of things in our lives at the moment, not just where we're at, like musically and being caught in that, place as a band but also just in our lives you know like being in a bit of an in-between place between going from your 20s and not really caring about things too much or being a bit more caught up in yourself not being so aware of things not being under that pressure to like financially secure your life or find your life partner or you know like that's a that's an in-between place that we're at in our lives as right. well. because also you're at that point in your life where like 
you know what? If you wanted to be in your bloody rap band in your bloody twenties, mate, then you can be in your little hippity hoppity band. <laughs> totally. But like, what do you? Yeah. What's your real job now, mate? Totally. Like, totally. You know. So the, of course, like you know, that's. I mean, I think uh, as comedians, it's very funny. You'll often see like you know people who turn thirty do so much material about turning 30. And if you're over 30, like I did myself as well, by the way, (laughs) but because it is so omnipresent in the artist's life, I think 30 more than anything, Mm. because not only do you have the regular things that people have, which is, you know, kids, family, marriage, blah, 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 all those sort of Mm -hmm. things we think you're meant to have done by the time you're 30. But you also have the whole idea that maybe I've dedicated every moment of my waking existence to something that I now have to stop doing and go and teach music at school or whatever, you know? Totally. So of course, I mean, and they are, Brilliant, important themes. Like, I mean, to me, transitional themes are much more interesting than people's themes when they feel like they've come to a position. Because the one thing that I know about the world is positions change and the worlds change. Mm -hmm. So your firm position, I believe a lot of the time is what's holding us back. People in transitional states are the most interesting because it's like, where are we going? Mm -hmm. What is this next generation going to teach us? What are they going to evaluate about what's important in life? And Mm -hmm. how are they going to reshape the world and these sort of things? So I'm always excited by transitional states, right? Okay, so uh, you said your philosophy was to realize that everybody has a story. Um, You have a new album out. Um, Firstly, what... uh, what emotions go through your mind when you're, because at least for me, I, like if I think of like, I write a show and then I go and perform it really straight away. Mm. So I can kind of start to adjust it and make it right and whatever. And then I tend to record it at the very end of that. The last time I ever do that stuff, it's recorded, right? <laughs> and then that's the version that lives on forever. But I've done it like 200, 300 times before that. Whereas like often for you, I imagine it's a complete opposite process where you record this thing and make this thing and then you go out and show it to people. Totally. So just explain what those two worlds are like. The world of like recording an album and you know, putting something together versus the world of being out on the road and playing your music and stuff. Mm. I'm, I'm very jealous of like the process that you're describing where you get to like essentially demo a song two or 300 times before you have to record it. You know, that never happens for us. You know, you might... You might demo a track once and then you sit with that version, you memorize it off that and then you, you'll get your next day in the studio and record it. Um, so, you know, you can re-record something if you really have to, but it's painful. Don't do it to yourself. Um, so, yeah, you, you do. You hit the song, you, you write it and you record it. And then, you know, right now I'm in, once again, in a, in a limbo state where I've, I've record, written and recorded 15 tracks that are coming out. They've been finished for, you know, a couple of months but nobody's heard them, you know, um, and you just, you're just waiting for it to, to come out and finally finish the communication process where your audience says, oh, this, you know, this is what I picked up from this or whatever. So that's, that's, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to in a couple of weeks is that um, response, you know, that comes, you know, really only comes once every couple of years when you finish an album where people are really hitting you up and, and in real time hitting you back saying, I'm listening to this or whatever. And then after that, it becomes the energy of the road, you know, where you go on tour and um, put together a set and then you play it live. And, you know, the energy that comes off the crowd is really, as I said before, kind of what just elevates it and turns it into this whole other thing, you know. It's interesting. Uh, Do you think that your appreciation of the fact that everybody in your audience 
like you spoke about it before about the reaction of the audience and how much it can change a hip hop show, you mm-hmm. know. And certainly, like when I think of comedy, I always tell young comedians the most important thing that you will learn is about listening. If you just listen to the audience, they'll tell you everything that you need to know about how they need to be handled, you know? And you can nudge them in the direction you need to nudge them in and you can cajole them in the way that you need to, but you have to listen to them first mm-hmm. so you can work out, like, you know, how to do that. Do you think that, uh, you know, the idea, that at least the general understanding that everyone in your audience is a person who has their own story and that after tonight that you will be part of their story. Because the truth is, as a traveling artist, right, I often joke in the show, like if, if, if a joke fires in a way that is different to the way that it regularly fires, I'll explain to the audience that they think they're judging me, but I'm actually judging them <laughs> because I'm here 20 nights in a row and it worked every other <laughs> night. So by any aspect of science, that is their fault, not mine. But um, But the truth is that I think that you've got to remember that you might go, oh, last night was better or Wednesday was great or whatever, Mm -hmm. but they weren't there Wednesday, Mm -hmm. most likely. Most likely they saw you once this year, that night, and now you are part of their story. Like, do you think how, well, I mean, maybe that's too big a concept to put on you, but how do you think of your audience is probably a better and easier question. Like what, you know, when you are putting together a show, like how, how do you think of the audience? How do you put together that show? How do they factor into that? Well, I suppose at this point, like I know heaps of our audience, you know, because that's, that's an interesting thing about being a touring band, how we do it. You know, usually we'll play the show and then we'll hit the merch desk afterwards. We'll hang out and meet people and get photos and stuff. So I've met, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of our of our fans, you know, and people keep coming back. Like, that's the thing about a lot of people, the way they listen to our music is like, we just did a tour in October and I've got fans coming to the shows that have been coming for like six, seven, eight years, you know. And so you start to know these people and, um, you know, people tell you about the songs and what they mean to them, how they've helped them through through various points in their life. And I guess that is part of what forms my awareness about the fact that, you know, everybody has a story and there's lots of people out there experiencing a lot of things is because like people kind of look to me as a musician and a songwriter and hit me up and tell me about the shit they're going through and the way that the music relates to that for them or whatever. Um, but I also just, you know, like I think that also just comes from from um my upbringing you know and just i just i just want to like i just always would like to think that anybody i deal with on the street or you know if i go into a shop deal with someone in a restaurant or whatever like that they're a person you know and they're they've got a whole bunch of things going on that i don't know about and they have a story you know and i'm i'm interacting with them for a sec so try and show them respect and say hey how's it going you know and give them a smile or whatever it is like just you know just try and look at the world like just look at other people and be like man everyone here is in the middle of like their kind of story um so i think it's something i'm kind of aware of in life in general but and maybe that comes from dealing with so many people like i deal with an unusual amount of of people like most people you ask them how many people you meet this year it's probably going to be in like the dozens or something you know like on that tour i I shook hands and had conversations with like a thousand people or something you know so i guess that's going to make you aware of, of other people's stories i also um you know a really interesting experience for me that maybe we don't have time to talk about but 
I we just, have time if you have time. Essentially, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. your it's your time that is. I'm already at my house. Yeah, you are at your house. I got <laughs> you to go. You have to go halfway across go Sydney and actually do something. You've got work to do. Jump tonight, on. So yeah, Facebook. Live. We can finish whenever. I feel like we're you know we can keep talking. I we told you, forever, I wasn't but we can at... also no. This is, I mean that was great. That that we could have finished on that, but you've man. I just I just go I'm just really enjoying chatting with you. No, so it's been I, brilliant. I just, I've had a great time. I just thought I should bring this up as well while we're talking about, you know, stories and, and the importance of valuing stories. It's like I also do some interesting workshop work outside of what I do in my band. I work with a company called The Red Room and they uh, publish, their mission statement is to publish new Australian poets. Oh, and they, yeah, have okay. a, they have a program. They do all sorts of interesting stuff, but they have a program with prisoners. So, you know, over the last few years, I've been into prisons around New South Wales a number of times and done... Um, you know, poetry and rap workshops with people, you know, with 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 prisoners. And, um, you know, as somebody who grew up with a stable upbringing and, you know, had parents who were teachers and encouraged them, you know, education. And I've had a lot of good opportunities in my life, um, you know, to go into those environments and do that work um, really, I think, hit home for me on, on that level as well of like everyone has a story and everyone's story is important. Like even even people who are in that situation who've done horrible things or they've done wrong things or whatever, you know. It's, or they've you, been caught for things that we've all done that we have lived a life where we're allowed to get away with those things and they weren't allowed to get away with those exactly, things. Exactly. Which often ha- 100%, happens. 100%. You know, like there's so many... So many reasons or factors that can lead somebody to being in prison. But also, even just our society's attitude to these things. I went to Langway Festival like a couple of weekends ago, right? Mm. And the amount of fucking sniffer dogs that were outside that festival. And here's the thing. If we have a policy that we're going to... I don't think we should have a policy where we have sniffer dogs and fucking chase down people who are doing... Anyway, but... That's a whole other issue. I wrote a massive rant on Twitter about that once. But when I, when secondly, if we're going to have them there, let's have them at the Logies and let's have them at the Stockbroking <laughs> Awards and let's have them at the Advertising Awards and let's have them at all those places. Yeah, yeah. Because unless you do that, you're just saying it's only bad if kids at fucking music festivals take drugs, 100%. not that it's bad to take drugs. 100%. The one day has posted it. My, my crew one day posted a meme online the other day asking... Um, you know, why Why are there no sniffer dogs at the Macquarie Bank Christmas party? Right. You're telling me there's not coke there? According to Mark DiStefano's book, there was coke at Malcolm Turnbull's victory party. I'm so, sure there was. You I'm know, sure I there mean, was. There, was, there was coke at the fucking Walkleys, the journalism awards. Like there's coke. Well, if you live in Sydney, there's coke everywhere you go. Yeah. So this idea that anyway, it's stratified and anyway, that's a whole other issue yeah, for yeah. a much broader I'd, conversation for yeah, a different day. I'd love but, to talk about that. But okay. but yes, it's it's so fucking ridiculous. But yes, the prison thing's interesting because I went to Acacia Prison in Western Australia this year uh-huh. as a visit because they're doing comedy in the very similar way. Uh-huh. And one of the things that they were saying, and I was talking to Briggs about this, was the idea that it's the hardest thing to get the Indigenous prisoners involved in because of shame being associated with the culture and not wanting to sort of show off and whatever. And I was talking to Briggs about obviously how important i imagine that album's going to be for you know kind of again bash like like the hilltop hoods did originally like that album's just going to bash down a whole lot of walls and invite mm. a lot of people into the community and and hear those stories but yeah, it, already, I, it already is which is dope but i went to that prison and 
I performed with these guys because essentially they were playing theater sports games, but they were in this like comedy club that they'd created. There could have been any comedy club. Like, I mean, you could have got up there and done an 80 person, you know, great gig, you know, nice little stage. You've played worse. You know what I mean? And they said in there, it felt like they weren't in prison. They were in like, you know, this comedy club. Uh And so they started playing improv games, you know, theater sports games. And so I was in the audience just watching them, but they needed an extra player. And I'm like, Oh, fuck it. You know why? Why not just like, do it with them rather than being an observer of it happening. Mm. And so then afterwards, you know, we're having coffee and whatever, and I'm talking to everybody and you're hearing, and you just think, I I grew up in the country Mm -hmm. and all I thought was this could be Saturday night at the footy club. If, if these guys all went in orange jumpsuits, this I'm having the exact same conversations I would have with 20 guys that I grew up with. Yeah. And they're all in there for decent reasons. You know, I mean, it's not, that's not to diminish that or say that isn't the case, but they're yeah. all people with their yeah. own stories 100%. that got them there. 100%. And, and, you know, probably the common thing between taking comedy into a prison like that and taking rhyming and, and writing songs and raps and poetry is you're, you're handing those tools to that person to say, here's a way for you to tell your story, you know? And I think the process of doing that for, for me. Um, has been really like kind of um, profound or whatever in helping me realize that this is my new kind of philosophy, you know, um, is is getting that satisfaction of handing those tools to somebody um, who's in a difficult situation in prison and, and watching how it empowers them and, and helps them in some way escape, as you say, the, the reality of where they are, but also feel like, a sense of self-worth because they're telling their story, you know? And I think that's, I think telling your story as a person is so empowering and, and, and important, um, you know, and that's what I, you know, when I really sit back and think about it, that's what I'm doing. Um, you know, writing raps and songs is like, I'm leaving a, a record behind of the things that I think about or, and working through, you know, it's still that sense of therapy that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And I'm leaving these, these things behind, you know, telling my story and, and I'm hoping that people out there connect with it as well. Well, look, that's a great note to end on. See, we got there. We, we, we landed this thing on the Hudson. We sullied it. So, um, here's what I'm going to say. Firstly, what do people need to know? The album's out February 24th. The album is out February 24th. And it's available pretty much everywhere, right? It's called, yeah, it's called Bardo State. It's available on our website, horrorshow.com. It's available JB, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you normally get your music. And if this is the first time, like, you know what? Like, I mean, I only get people on who I'm interested in, so you already know I'm interested. But I genuinely believe, you know, I, I, I feel like that you are doing something that is important and I feel like the stories that you tell tell are told in a way that I don't hear other people telling stories and thank you very much regardless of whether everyone in the fucking world thinks that or not like I certainly know from my personal experience there is something I get from the way that you communicate in your chosen art form that I do not get from other people who communicate in that art form and that alone I think is something that should be celebrated oh, uh, I think you, people are going to really love the album I think there's going to be some people who love the last one who will take a couple of listens to realise that they you know what this one's about like I do think yeah. that there is a bit of that and I think that's a good thing we'll and, find I, out. and I think that people are going to love it I love it I've really enjoyed listening to it and uh, 
I've enjoyed the you know everything about the experience of listening to it, and I've loved having you here today. Does any, people need to know anything else? Tell them anything else they need to know. This is your last chance. Get it in. Uh, thank you, man. I, nah, just you know, um, thanks for having me today. It's it's been a real pleasure. Such a pleasant end to our courtship process. Nice. Yeah, this was um, a ride. See, it was worth it. I knew it would be. <laughs> I told you. Um, yeah, I've really I've really enjoyed being on the podcast and. You know, if anyone out there listening who's interested, you know, we've got our new album coming out. We've got old albums to listen to. Um, we'll be on tour later in the year. You know, we're around um, and always love to have people connect with our stuff. So thanks for the time today, Will, and, and for having me on. Um, well, I hope it's going to be awesome for you. Um, I'm on tour as well. So uh, willanderson.com.au or comedy.com.au, but I'm coming everywhere. So if you're in Australia in particular, first half of the year, and you have a place where I might come, I'll probably come there. So check out the dates. That'd be cool. All right, we'll talk to you all again soon.